Hi, this is Caroline Rotenstrike. And Max Goldman. And this is Dive In, produced by Brownie P. Today we are joined by Brown alum Joel Grossman, who is the co-founder of Number AI, which developed Numa, an artificial intelligence software. So thank you so much for joining us today, Joel. Um, we're really happy to have you. If you don't mind introducing yourself, maybe um, sharing a little bit about your Brown experience and kind of ending with how Numa came to be. Great. Uh, so that's a pretty big. Good, good to be here first. Thanks for having me, Caroline. I appreciate it. Um, so. I'm Joel Grossman. I, I uh, graduated Brown in 99, uh, last century, which used to be a funny joke when we were, it wasn't that so far away, but um, I came to Brown thinking I was going to be a doctor, actually. So my Brown journey is one of the pre-med route, complete with organic chemistry and biology, and computers for me was a fun interest on the side as something I kind of might want to major in. In fact, um, Initially, I didn't sign up for any computer classes at all, and you had this program where your advisor freshman year was based on a course you picked before you arrived at Brown. I don't know if they still have that program, but when I met with him my first week, he asked me why I picked his course, which I think was something like the history of computers and math or something, and I told him I thought I might be interested in computers, and he said, you know, don't take my course, not that interesting, go, go take uh, CS15 the intro computer science course. And the rest, you know, as they say, is history. And I became a computer science major. I loved it. But I still was doing the pre-med. I, I worked as a Brown EMS on the ambulance. I applied to medical school. I, I, I missed a spring weekend so I could take the MCATs one year. Uh, and after paying all that price and, and eventually getting into medical school, um, I opted to take a job at Microsoft instead. After all that, um, it was the late 90s, a dot-com boom. The doctors were all kind of miserable because of HMOs and lawyers involved in their medicine and the billing and all that. Uh, and the folks in CS loved life. And so I ended up foregoing medicine and becoming a, uh, a program manager at Microsoft. Uh, five years there, I loved it. it. This becomes entrepreneurship because in my third year at Microsoft, I started, I did a startup project that um, I worked on Windows for a couple of years. The startup project was sort of after we shipped Windows XP, hey, kind of on Windows XP, we may want to evolve into something bigger. And so I worked on that project for a bit um, and loved it and, and ended up doing a couple of reviews with Bill G, with Bill Gates, uh, because I was relatively junior when Bill basically approved the project and said, you know, go do, go hire, uh, Microsoft said, okay, well, we're going to follow the process and hire above and around you. The kind of classic big company. You've done a great job, Joel, but you're only three years in, so now we're going to hire all the senior people to fill out this team for this project. And that really kind of, um, it whet my appetite for startups and trying something new, but also frustrated me about the process of big company. And so from there, uh, I ended up leaving that team at Microsoft, joining an actual startup project within Microsoft, loving that, thinking, huh, beyond shipping software, maybe I should go learn about running a business and P&L and marketing, business development. And so I left um, 
decided to leave Microsoft altogether, go to business school, and the rest is history. I joined, uh, I did business school for two years, loved it, joined a startup from there uh, that was actually from an alum from my same business school. He and I uh, grew that company to a $220 million acquisition in 2014. We had 250 people on the team. It was a great experience. And after that ended, uh, we decided to start NUMA, start Number AI. And that's the beginning of what is now a three-year-old project doing conversational commerce for Main Street businesses. So you touch upon kind of transitioning out of this more formal corporate role and kind of embarking on this, you know, personal entrepreneurial journey. Can you discuss, um, you know, the lessons you learned in this process and also maybe some uh, encounters of adversity that you faced? Yeah, sure. So I, I think, um, you know, those lessons start at Brown for me. I, I didn't know it at the time, but Brown is this, you know, I, I went to a very regimented high school. I went to an all boys Latin school um, in New England that where you know, every single thing was sort of decided for me, what to do, what the challenges were, what the goals were. My language choices consisted of uh, ancient, not modern, ancient Greek or French. Uh, and that was after several years of Latin. Um, and so from Brown, when I went to Brown, the, the opportunity was not only super exciting, but kind of terrifying. And the ability to decide your own path including what goals you wanted to accomplish, how you were gonna get there, what the challenges were, and then being humble enough to learn from your peers and the professors around you, really I think is the beginning of entrepreneurship and, and figuring out you know, that what life is about is taking some gambles, making mistakes, being reflective enough to learn from those mistakes and, and take the next step. Um, and so that, you know, I think in many senses, what Brown sets you up to do as a student is really what entrepreneurship is in, in the professional world. I say that because when you go to a big company like Microsoft, necessarily they've developed a lot of strict and you know, often very good processes that help them manage tens of thousands of people in a coherent, aligned way. But those processes, those, those ways of doing things are kind of the opposite of startup life. And so, in fact, even today, and, and, and people, I think you kind of know in your heart whether you belong in a place like that or whether you're a startup person if you want to excel with a, on a race where the path is relatively clear, or if you really prefer wandering in the woods and carving your own path. And so always, at my, I don't think I realized it myself because I'm kind of a malleable person, but my, you know, my third, fourth, fifth year at Microsoft, I sort of realized that the structure was not something I enjoyed being a part of. And so uh, I left, tried to educate myself, and that's why I went to business school. But the, the departure from Microsoft with you know, the reviews and the processes for building and designing and shipping software and you know, the sign-offs, et cetera, were so different from startup, which is like, okay, great. You're, you're three of you at a desk, now what? What are you gonna build? 
How are you going to get there? What is step one? And without the supporting infrastructure in place of all the other experts around you, uh, is very jarring. And I will say that you know when we hire people into our early stage companies, we often um, will not be super attracted to people with big fancy brand names on their resume. You know, you may have worked at these fantastic companies, which are fantastic companies, and you may be super smart, but it is earth shattering for many folks to come from a Microsoft or a Google or a Facebook or wherever, and then get dumped into a startup where none of those resources, guidelines, um, roadmaps are available to you. And so that is a really big jump for PE. Yeah, you touch upon a really good point. And I think there's something to say about entrepreneurship and the spirit of just constant innovation. You kind of always have to be ready. So can you discuss how NUMA continues to innovate and differentiates itself from its competitors? Yeah, so we're really early. I'm gonna guess most folks listening to this have never heard of, of NUMA. Uh, if you wanna check it out, it's at NUMA.com, N-U-M-A.com, there's my plug. But um, we're still learning what we're providing. So the whole idea of NUMA started when um, in between the sale of our previous company, actually our previous company, and starting NUMA, we were kind of out in the real world um, you know, during the day and, and handling mundane things like uh, you know, one of my co-founders was doing a renovation on his house. And, and, and calling Main Street businesses to coordinate a plumber or to figure out what kind of refrigerator we're gonna buy, or whatever is is a painful experience. I mean, the phone is like a nineteen whatever it, mid mid nineteenth century technology, eighteenth century technology, twentieth century technology that um, has not scaled well. You call businesses and you wait on hold. You can't get them. The line is busy, etc. Or it's after hours, and you can't communicate with them. And by the way, it's bad for them too. They can only handle one customer at a time. They have to drop whatever they're doing in the store to answer the phone. And so our first idea was, well, it wouldn't texting be a thousand times better. I text with my family and my friends, the people I love and the people I care about. And it's so much more convenient for both parties because you can get to it when it's convenient for you. It would not be better. And we launched a texting service for businesses. And the problem was when we signed up some early customers was that they're like, oh yeah, that was a great experience for the one customer who discovered they could text me last month. And we're like, okay, so there's this constant rate of learning. Okay, well, while we're having these interviews and they're telling us this, meanwhile, in the background, the phone's ringing off the hook and they're rolling their eyes because the voicemail is going to be annoying and it's probably a salesperson or, a, you know, some kind of spammer trying to tie up their time or they're busy or they're frantic. And so you, you just, it's this process of watching and evolving and learning about what the problems are. And so for NUMA, we're still at that stage. So we, we um, years ago, evolve from just texting to answering the phone when businesses can't. So now if you call one of our customers, they can grab the phone because they want to talk to customers. But if they can't grab it, and they can't, by the way, two thirds of the time, NUMA answers, NUMA can trans transcribe voicemails, can answer questions, can encourage the customer to uh, text instead, which is better for everybody, and the customer doesn't have to wait on hold, it's great for them. And so we're constantly evolving what's next by listening to our customers. So we're really religious about getting feedback from customers when they're happy, when they're not happy. We survey customers every quarter. So three months after you sign up for NUMA, you get a survey from us. And then on six months, and then nine months, and 12 months, um, and we reach out to you regularly because we are in this active learning phase. And so NUMA continues to evolve 
you know, first it was texting, then it was texting plus voicemail. And then for our restaurant customers, we saw a pattern where 80% of their calls were people trying to order food. And that turns out to be a really painful process for restaurants over the phone because um, the error rate is really high because they can only take one order at a time, for example. And so you, you can solve all these problems. If we, well, we can automate ordering. That's pretty easy. The, me, the menu is a pretty standard thing. And so now we moved into you know, ordering automation. And we're seeing that same kind of thing with salons who want to schedule appointments. So Numa continues to evolve and go deeper in solving actual business problems for our actual customers who often don't get enough love because you know, Main Street small business is really hard to sell to and they're often ignored. Yeah, so what do you say to a business that's reluctant to kind of integrate this technology into their day-to-day -day operations? Like why should they incorporate Numa? So if I'm talking on a podcast, I can talk about sort of efficiency and customer delight and you know, the ROI of not having to hire another person to answer the phone or the value of saving missed calls. But the truth of the matter is as an entrepreneur, uh, if you don't recognize you have this problem that we try to solve, I, we just can't waste our time trying to convince you otherwise. So what we're really trying to do is find people that know they have a phone problem, that know that they're missing calls. They may today already be trying things like having an overpriced answering service enter their phone or by rerouting calls after hours to their personal mobile phone. So, so we're trying to find the, the bigger challenge is not convincing people to buy our product. It's finding people that have this problem and making them aware that our solution exists. So I would say like definitely now with the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen its impact on small businesses. So I was curious um, how the pandemic has impacted NUMA and how you see it impacting your clients in this new reality? Yeah, this is that's a spectacular question and certainly not something that we, we or investors or anybody could have forecast uh, when we kicked this off a couple of years ago. Um, so a few things. One is, you know, we're here to solve problems for our customers. And while we certainly can't make the pandemic go away, uh, one of the problems that, you know, to state the obvious is during the, March and April, May timeframe, many of our businesses had to shut down, um, which posed a couple of challenges that we turned into opportunities. So challenge-wise, uh, customers aren't buying new software at this time, certainly. Even the customers we had that were already paying may not be able to afford to pay us or certainly didn't want to pay us. And so as soon as the national shutdown started happening, and we're in California, so we were one of the first statewide shutdowns to happen, uh, we decided to immediately waive fees. So all the customers that had us could continue to use us, uh, May, June, July, and you know, almost I think two or three months at least, uh, at no cost to them. So they didn't have to do anything. We were one, uh, our, our cost was a worry they could cross off their list. Uh, two is that we, um, extended our free trial to, to businesses who wanted to give it a try because many of them had a different form of the problem that we were solving, which was they couldn't grab the phone, not because they were too busy, unfortunately, but because they couldn't get into their business. The doors were locked and customers were confused. Are you open? Are you closed? Are you doing modified services? Like maybe the gym's open, but there are no classes or you know, restaurants open, but not as many bookings, or the plumbers can come, but it can only do outdoor jobs. Whatever it is, customers still wanted to know if they could communicate with you, 
And you couldn't answer questions like you used to be able to. So being able to remotely access, because we're obviously a cloud-based service, was a big win for customers. So we, we marketed that. Um, and then lastly, you know, and this was just sort of because we have access being sort of a Silicon Valley company to these kinds of experts, is we offered webinars that weren't even about our product, that were about get how do you, as a small business, get the PPP loan. So we're just thinking through, you know, we're in a fortunate position where we recently got funded. We have enough money in the bank. Certainly, we're going to be careful about our spending. But um, this pandemic didn't appear to be a life and death issue for us. But for many of our customers, it was, how can we help? And so, uh, you know, just small business is really, in some sense, it's like a family. It's like a partnership. And so we wanted to convey that. We held webinars helping our businesses get their questions answered about PPP loans. Uh, we waive fees. And, you know, we try to help them generally. So that's, that was our approach during the pandemic. That's really remarkable. I'm, I'm sure they were so appreciative. That's awesome. It's been great. Uh, we're glad we could help. Um, so just shifting gears a little bit, um, you definitely highlighted your Brown experience and kind of the lessons that you learned at Brown. But I was curious what advice you would give to budding entrepreneurs now. There are a ton of student startups on campus and a lot of students involved in the entrepreneurship program at Brown. So I was curious kind of what you would uh, say to them. So, you know, for me, I, I came from kind of a, uh, um, a relatively risk-averse, you know, New England family. I went, you know, I think like many Brown students, uh, um, we've been fortunate to have some success in school. You know, certainly getting to Brown is, is no small feat that everybody should be really proud of. Uh, you know, it's different when you're out in, in the real world kind of on your own. Um, people are very helpful when you're a student trying to learn. They're sometimes less helpful when you're uh, trying to start up on your own. But, but, but what for me was been really helpful, uh, maintaining a humbleness, a willingness to fail, and then importantly learn from those failures. So for me, entrepreneurship has been a cycle, uh, not of like you see in the movies or read about where you take these wild, crazy ideas and you wake up in the middle of one night with an inspirational dream is going to be worth billions, but instead uh, learning from folks who know more than you do, um, being a good and kind and helpful person to create folks who, uh, to create a team that wants to work with you, that wants to succeed with you together, and then learning from mistakes and being willing, be willing to take those mistakes, uh, to take those risks, make those mistakes and learn from them, and then do it better the next time around. So, so um, and, and by the way, you know, pay it forward when you can. So I do uh, a fair bit of advising and consulting with folks, um, especially Brown alums. I love doing that, being, help, being useful and paying it forward because you're probably an expert in something that somebody needs to know about. And, uh, and doing good for the world, I think, will come back and help you a lot. Uh, and you're going to need it because <laughs> there are things you're going to need help in that you're not going to be an expert in. That is great advice. Thank you. And um, obviously, with the pandemic, things have, you know, not really worked out, you know, in the way you anticipated for Numa necessarily. But is there, you know, anything that's top of mind for you and your team at Numa right now? and anything that you're looking forward to exploring in the future? Well, we're in a really exciting space. So uh, we, we're in conversational commerce, uh, you know, natural language, artificial intelligence. Uh, and we're also in a space where I think small businesses, in no small part accelerated because of the pandemic, have really been forced to modernize um, and find ways to be more efficient. 
we're really, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I'm a computer science major. I love the technology and I, I grew up in product at Microsoft, but I'm most excited now about figuring out how to speak to our customers and, and reach potential customers because we're in a fortunate spot where the customers that love us, that sorry, that use us, us. We have a, a net promoter score uh, north of 90 based on those surveys that we ask people. So, so that is fantastic. But that doesn't make us a success by any stretch yet. We have to try to figure out how to find those customers, how to communicate with them, how to reach with them. And because we're doing something new, uh, it's not just, oh, it's like a mousetrap, but better. It's something kind of new and different. That's been an interesting challenge that we've had a, a, a fun time exploring. So we're going to take some big risks, I think, marketing-wise, advertising-wise, partnership-wise. And I'm excited as a business person now figuring out how those work, uh, aligning with the right partners, making some kind of bold, aggressive brand moves, and, and, and reaching customers in a scalable way. Um, but product-wise, there's some really cool stuff going on, whether it is you know, advancing, moving our natural language uh, auto-responses from text into voice and sort of doing that, um, whether it is doing completing business processes more like helping people schedule appointments in addition to ordering food and things like that. I think this is really exciting and compelling stuff and it's gonna be a lot of fun to do. That sounds awesome, that's super exciting. And just to end off here, you touched upon kind of um, paying it forward and you serve as kind of an advisor now. So what are kind of some maybe memorable conversations that you've had or um, you know, characteristics and qualities and young entrepreneurs that um, excites you or that you look forward to? Uh, so there, I love talking to entrepreneurs because the great ones always have a passion for the problem they're trying to solve. Sometimes I know nothing about it. Sometimes I know something about it. Uh, and so for me, the excitement is about the learning and the energy and often helping them focus. You know, they're they're all smart enough to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Um, but there's just so much in front of you in terms of a challenge, in terms of managing the business and building the product and finding the customers and refining the message and building a team that helping them focus is, is always really exciting to me. Um, I also, you know, in, in my younger days, uh, I was much more kind and polite. And I think that did entrepreneurs a disservice. Uh, I, I, Right now, what I, I enjoy kind of speaking truth, or at least my truth. I, I don't, I'm not a genius by any stretch of the imagination, but if I think your idea is not going to work, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you why. And I enjoy that because the good entrepreneurs listen and can debate with me, and I love the debates. I think that um, we both learn so much in having a hard discussion about you know, challenging problems and trying to figure out how to solve them. At the end of the day, that's all startups are. It is a day in and day out challenges and problems you've got to overcome because, again, unlike in the big company space, nothing's been pre-figured out for you. There's not, oh, just do A, B, and C, and then you get to D. That's not the way it works. And so uh, I get excited about people who are passionate about their problem, understand it, but also willing to listen and push back um, and, and adjust the plan as necessary. So I, I love the conversations. If I can help anybody who's listening, please don't hesitate to reach out. I think the, the Brown Entrepreneurship Program is a phenomenal uh, opportunity that wasn't there when I was there. So make good use of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I can't wait to share this podcast with our listeners. So thank you. Thanks very much, Caroline. Appreciate it.